Hello and welcome to the Toasted Tale podcast. My name is Jim, and yesterday on our live show, we went through a number of historical events that happened yesterday. And for those listening to this in the future, this was the 26th of January in history. And from this, we were able to reference Charles George Gordon, a British major general whose life took him across the world, seeing action in the Crimean War, China, and Africa. In this, today's episode of the Toasted Tale podcast, we're going to find the stories and interesting tidbits about the man and his legacy. Gordon was born into a family four generations rich, filled with officers in the British Army. His future was never in doubt that it would be down a military path that he would live his life. Growing up, moving around the different countries in the United Kingdom, Gordon grew into a teenager who was quickly moved into the army, becoming a cadet, and quickly had a renown about him for having high spirits, a combative streak, and a tendency to disregard authority and the rules of which he felt were stupid or unjust. Despite this, he showed strong charisma and leadership. Unfortunately, because of his slight rebellious streak, he was distrusted by his superiors, but after choosing to become a royal engineer and becoming an officer, the man steadily rose through the ranks. During his time, he was described as a man of medium stature, with striking blue eyes. The charismatic Gordon had the ability to inspire men to follow him anywhere. Now, Gordon lived a very fascinating life, but there were three major spheres of war that he distinguished himself and cemented his name into the history books for. The first was in Crimea, the second in China, and the third in both Egypt and Sudan. Each of these events built up to the person who was Charles George Gordon. Looking first in Crimea, this conflict was a war of ideology. On one side, the Russian autocrats, versus on the other, the British and French democracy. Gordon was anxious to fight in the Crimea, often showing reckless bravery and abandon for his own life. It was said that he was displaying a kind of death wish. As he wrote it about going down to war, he said, quote, to the Crimea, hoping without having a hand in it to be killed, end quote. It was in this conflict where he distinguished himself in the siege trenches outside Sevastopol used as an engineer and sapper to try and break down the defences, walls, and morale. On the 18th of June, 1855, the besieging British and French armies began what they thought to be the final assault that would take Sevastopol. This began, as usually it does, with a huge bombardment. 
Gordon was in the front line trenches, where he was under intense fire. Men fell all around him, and he was forced to take shelter so that he was covered literally from head to toe with mud and blood. Charles Gordon spent 34 consecutive days in the trenches around Sevastopol, and earned a reputation for being a brave and able young officer. It was said at the British headquarters that, quote, if you want to know what the Russians are up to, send for Charlie Gordon, end quote. Following the war in Crimea, Gordon was sent to Romania to manage the tricky relationship between the Ottomans, the Russians, and those in between. He was an early embracer of the new technology of the camera, and took what the Canadian historian C. Brad Fraught called a series of evocative photographs of the people and landscapes of Armenia. Throughout his life, Gordon was always a keen photographer, and was elected a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society to honour him for his Armenian photos. Following this, and on the 1st of April 1859, he was promoted to captain, and probably being very bored due to his restless nature, volunteered the year after in 1860 for his next military adventure. China was his destination, with the Second Opium War raging. To his disappointment, however, when he arrived in Hong Kong, he was to learn that he was just a bit too late for the fighting. China being the massive and complex country it is though, Gordon heard that there was the Taiping Rebellion that was rumbling around the nation. Now at first he felt sympathetic towards the Taipings, led by the charismatic madman Hong Zhihuan, who proclaimed himself to be the younger brother of Jesus Christ, viewing them somewhat similar to eccentric Christians that he was familiar with. This illusion was shattered, however, after stopping whilst travelling through the country in Shanghai, he visited the countryside and was appalled by the atrocities committed by the Taipings against the local peasantry, writing to his family, saying that he would love to smash this cruel army with its desolating presence. He was involved with collaborating with other Europeans in the region to try and defend their assets and people living in the region, but his real time to shine in the spotlight of this sphere came when the Taiping rebellious troops were approaching Shanghai, which at the time had a number of European inhabitants. And so, as this threat was looming, a militia of Europeans and Asians were raised for the defence of the city. Now, these troops were put under the command of a Frederick Townsend Ward, and his plan, if you will, was to clear the west side of Shanghai's countryside of rebels. And so, of course, then battles took place to try and clear out this land. Ward was killed in the Battle of Sixi, 
and he was succeeded by another American, H.A. Bergwijn, who was very unpopular with the Imperial Chinese authorities and the troops there. This was because he was greedy and an alcoholic, and did little to hide his racism, which made relations with his Chinese counterparts difficult at the best of times. It was requested quite quickly by the governor of Jiangsu's province that a British officer would be put into command of the contingent. Gordon was then selected, being authorised by the British government to do so, and all the boxes were ticked. Now because of the kind of rubbish commander they had had before, the Chinese wanted, quote, a man of good temper, of clean hands, and a steady economist, end quote. Li Hongshang, the governor of Jiangsu province, wrote of Gordon, quote, It is a direct blessing from heaven, the coming of this British Gordon. He is superior in manner and bearing to any of the foreigners whom I have come into contact with, and does not show outly the conceit which makes most of them repugnant in my sight. What an elixir for a heavy heart to see this splendid Englishman fight. If there is anything that I admire nearly as much as the superb scholarship of Zheng Zhufan, it is the military qualities of this fine officer. He is a glorious fellow. With his many faults, his pride, his temper, and his never-ending demand for money, but he is a noble man, and in spite of all, I have said to him, or about him, I will ever think most highly of him. He is an honest man, but difficult to get on with." End quote. And honest and incorruptible he was. Unlike most other Chinese officers in the region, he did not steal the money that was meant to pay his men, rather insisting on paying the, as he dubbed it, ever-victorious army on time and in full. Something interesting about this point as well, the fact that he always wanted to pay his men did create some tension between him and the mandarins, who were often irritated and didn't understand why Gordon didn't just let his men loot and plunder after battle as compensation for wages. And without waiting to reorganise his troops, he sent them into battle to relieve forces who were under fire already, quickly winning Gordon the respect of his troops. He also made a strong point to treat prisoners of war well, and to encourage the Taipings to surrender, knowing that they were going to be treated humanely. This also led to former Taipings choosing to enlist in the ever-glorious army, which then continuously had this feedback loop of positivity. Tactically as well, it's interesting to look at Gordon, as his beliefs of how wars and battles should be fought were very different to his Chinese counterparts. China has always had a lot of people a lot of bodies to throw at the meat grinder of war. Gordon disapproved of wasting life so frivolously though. He was at loggerheads with his Chinese colleagues who were willing to inflict and accept gargantuan losses in battle. 
He wrote instead, quote, the great thing is to cut off their retreat, and the chances are they will go without trouble, but attack them from the front and leave their rear open, and they will fight most desperately, end quote. Gordon was a real fan of outflanking the Taiping's lines rather than taking them on frontally. His Chinese counterparts did not share Gordon's horror at the huge casualty numbers caused by frontal assaults, and so the differing in opinion obviously caused tension. An example of these differing tactics came on the morning of the 30th of May 1863, where there was a Taiping force guarding the town of Quinsan, where they were astonished to see an armoured paddle steamer, the Heisen, armoured with a 32-pounder cannon on its bow, sailing up one of the canals, and at the prow of this ship stood Gordon. Following the Heisen ship was a fleet of 80 junks converted to gunboats, Aboard the Heisen were 350 men from the elite 4th Regiment of the ever-victorious army. They were under heavy fire from the Taiping forces. Gordon's men chopped up the wooden stakes that the Taipings had placed in the canal to prevent this kind of flanking manoeuvre, and allowed Gordon to move past them and into the main defence of the enemy line. This breakthrough caught the enemy army off guard and caused thousands of enemies to panic and flee. They sailed up and down the main canal, using the 32-pounder gun to blast apart typing positions on the canal. Now at times Gordon feared that the assaults by the typing would take the Heisen, but all the attacks were repulsed. And the following day, Quinsan fell to the 4th Regiment. Now, the ever-victorious army primarily was a mercenary band, and was made up of some of the worst elements of Chinese society. Now, in a lot of these bands, the common practice when going into a new region was to pillage and loot the towns they entered, and also commit atrocities against the people, the inhabitants within. Now Gordon detested a lot of these actions and routinely had to deal out severe punishment to his officers and members of his company, often summarily executing troops who did the worst of the worst. After reorganising his force and taking his troops, leading them towards the city of Kunshan with imperial troops, they eventually captured the city of Suchao in November of that year. After its surrender, Gordon personally guaranteed any Taiping rebel who laid down their arms would be humanely treated. The ever-victorious army, which was, as I said earlier, inclined to looting, had been ordered not to enter Suchao, and only allowed imperial forces to enter. Unfortunately, therefore, Gordon was thus powerless when the imperial troops executed all the Taiping prisoners of war, an act which enraged him. With this bitter taste in his mouth, and seeing the massacre as a stain on his honour, 
On the 1st of January 1864, when Gordon was informed that a messenger from the Tongzhi Emperor was coming to see him, in a classic Charles George Gordon move, he rejected the numerous gifts given by the Emperor, and though thanking him, did not hesitate to give the Emperor a message, saying, quote, Major Gordon receives his appropriation of His Majesty the Emperor with every gratification, but regrets most sincerely that owing to the circumstances which occurred since the capture of Su Chao, he is unable to receive any mark of His Majesty the Emperor's recognition." End quote. This understandably offended the Emperor, effectively sidelining his troops for a short time and adding weight to the idea that even though he was able and reliable, such as he is, he was still unmanageable. After only one short month, he was back in the game, the Chinese probably realizing what a talent they had on their hands, and the ever-victorious army resumed its high-tempo advance. It was now, with the war seemingly coming to an end, and the Imperial Chinese looking to win, where the forces split, with the Imperial Army wanting the honour of taking Nanking, the Taiping capital for themselves, and giving the ever-victorious army the secondary task of taking the cities of Yesing, Liang, and Kitang. Gordon was injured for the second time on the 21st of March 1864, where a Taiping soldier shot him in the thigh. The wound was only slight and Gordon was soon back in action, fighting his last battle at Changchu in May 1864. Gordon then returned to Kunshan and disbanded his army in June of the same year. During the time he had with the ever-victorious army, Gordon had an amazing record. He won 33 battles in succession. However impressive that is, he still felt his losses strongly, saying that they were no joke, as 48 of his 100 officers and about 1,000 out of the 3,500 soldiers he had, had been killed or wounded in action. Gordon was promoted by the Emperor to Chief Commander of Jiangsu Province, which is a title equal to Field Marshal, decorated him with an Imperial Yellow Jacket, and was raised to King Viscount First Class. Gordon declined an additional gift of a thousand taels of silver from the Imperial Treasury, and in his mind, as only 40 men were allowed to wear the Yellow Jacket, this being the Emperor's ceremonial bodyguard, it was thus a signal of honour for Gordon to be allowed to wear it. Happy to refuse that monetary gain, later on traders in Shanghai offered Gordon huge sums of money to thank him for his work commanding the ever-victorious army. Gordon again declined all the honours of financial gain, writing, quote, I know I shall leave China as poor as I entered it, but with the knowledge that through my weak instrumentality, upwards of 80 to 100,000 lives have been spared. 
I want no further satisfaction than this. The British journalist Mark Urban wrote of Gordon, quote, People saw a brave man who acted with humanity in an otherwise ghastly conflict. Standing out from the other mercenaries, adventurers and cutthroats in wanting almost nothing for himself." End quote. The Savage Taiping Rebellion, which was one of the bloodiest war of the entire 19th century, experts believing it took somewhere between 20 to 30 million lives, is largely forgotten in the West today. But at the time, the civil war in China attracted much media attention and Gordon's command of the ever-victorious army received much coverage from British newspapers. It was from these exploits that Gordon gained the popular nickname Chinese Gordon. For the next five years, he was commander of the Royal Engineers at Gravesend. He spent his spare time developing an unorthodox version and a mystical brand of Christianity, and was an active philanthropist determined to help needy youths. In 1873, his time in England would once again come to an end, when the Khedive Ishmael Pasha of Egypt, who had a habit of employing Europeans, appointed Gordon governor of the province of Ecuadoria in Sudan. Now, the Egyptian authorities had been anxious to extend their control southwards down the Nile towards the Great Lakes region in Africa. Egypt for the last 70 or so years had been a de facto independent state underneath the Ottoman Sultanate, where the overruling empire had nominal control the authority of the Egyptians was strong, and they wanted to flex their muscles as well. The Khedive of Egypt, Ishmael Pasha, was a great fan of European advances and culture. Him, a Franco and Italiophile himself, said of Egypt, quote, My country is no longer only in Africa. We are now part of Europe too. It is therefore natural for us to abandon our former ways and to adopt a new system adapted to our social conditions." End quote. He, by all accounts, was a big and frivolous spender who had great ambitions for his nation. From April 1874 to December 1876, Charles mapped the Upper Nile River and established a line of stations along the river as far south as present-day Uganda. In order for him to find the ideal places for these stations, they had to explore the area, and Gordon found a major problem was malaria, which was decimating his men. He issued the following order, quote, Never let the mosquito curtain out of your sight. It is more valuable than your revolver, end quote. The heat also apparently affected Gordon greatly. In a letter written to his sister Augusta, he said, quote, This is a horrible climate. 
I seldom, if ever, get a good sleep. End quote. A lot of Charles George Gordon's work in Ecuadoria was regarding the breaking of the slave trade in the area. Gordon wrote a letter to his sister about the Africans living a, quote, life of fear and misery, end quote. But in spite of the utter misery of the area, he enjoyed the work, often intercepting slave convoys to arrest the slavers and break the chains of the slaves. He was disappointed, however, to find that the corrupt Egyptian bureaucrats usually sold the freed Africans back into slavery, and that the expense of caring for thousands of freed slaves who were long away from their home too burdensome to care about properly. Gordon grew close to the British and Foreign Anti-Slavery Society, which was an evangelical Christian group based in London dedicated to ending slavery all over the world. The journalist we referenced earlier, Urban, wrote that, quote, newspaper readers in Bolton or Beanminster had become enraged by stories about chained black children cruelly abducted, being sold into slave markets." End quote. Gordon's anti-slavery efforts were celebrated by the British and Foreign Anti-Slavery Society, and in the papers, contributing to his image as a saintly man. Because of this firm belief, he came into conflict with the Egyptian bureaucracy, informing them that he did not wish to return to the Sudan as he felt they weren't holding up their end of the deal in trying to crush slavery. In this time where he returned back to London, he entertained offers from other entrepreneurs and national leaders, most prominently from King Leopold II of Belgium, but decided against joining them, returning to Egypt and Sudan, after the leadership there had had a bit of time to come round to Gordon's way of thinking. And Gordon, with the support of his superiors, had a lot he wanted to achieve. He carried out a series of reforms, such as abolishing torture and public floggings. In many ways, he wanted to change the basic nature of the Ottoman Egyptian rule replacing a system based on exploitation of the people by a state to one where the state would work for the betterment of people in general. Through these measures, he became known as utterly obstinate, joking that, quote, the Gordons and the Camels are of the same race. Let them take an idea into their heads and nothing will take it out. I have a splendid camel, none like it. It flies along and quite astonishes the Arabs." End quote. This is a stubbornness that we have seen before, but also will see more of in the future. Whilst he tried his best to institute these ideas and promote positivity into the state of Egypt and Sudan, most, if not all, of his reforms were defeated by the Ottoman and Egyptian system. They simply did not have the moral outrage shared by Gordon about many of these things, and at the end of his governor-generalship of the Sudan, 
Gordon had to admit that he had been a failure. An experience of defeat so shattering that it caused him to suffer a nervous breakdown. He spent a number of years to recover in England, and over the next two years spent time serving in India, China, Mauritius, and the Cape Colony of South Africa. Around 1882, there was trouble brewing in Sudan, and the Egyptian forces were struggling and insufficient to cope with the rebels. By September of that year, the position in Sudan had grown perilous, and the Egyptian army, under control of Colonel William Hicks, set out to destroy the rebellious Mahdi warriors. Now, the Egyptian soldiers were of low morale and had no interest in being in the Sudan, much less fighting the Mahdi. It was said that morale was so poor that Hicks had to chain his men together to prevent them from deserting. This coincided with the British occupying Egypt in 1882. They didn't annex it, it was still a nominally independent nation, but the influence from the European power had continued to grow for many years and was at a tipping point for sure. With all these problems going on in the region, Liberal Prime Minister William Gladstone decided that the Sudan was not worth the trouble it was to hang on to, and such, the Sudan was to be abandoned to the Mahdi. In December 1883, the British government ordered the evacuation of Egyptians from the Sudan, which of course was no easy feat. It involved the withdrawal of thousands of Egyptian soldiers, civilian employees, and their families. Who would be the man who would be tasked with organising this withdrawal? Well, none other than Charles George Gordon. He was not convinced that the evacuation was the best course, but eventually agreed to travel to Sudan. Now, the Mahdists had taken over most of the country, but one of the last few remaining areas that were holding out, and still under the Egyptian control, were in the city of Khartoum. So, Gordon arrives in the city in February 1884, and this was with the directive to evacuate. Now, what did he do, of course? but go against these commands and order the preparations for the defence of Khartoum. He did not want to back down and instead fight. The city overwhelmingly were behind him and on the 18th of March 1884, the siege of Khartoum started. When it became clear that Gordon was going to hold the city, Shouts came out throughout Britain for a relief force to be sent. Voices that were continuously ignored by the government, hoping to force Gordon's hand to find a way of evacuating. The siege lasted almost a year, and as the hopes of the survivors dwindled, eventually there was a relief force sent. Would they reach the besieged in time? 
As dawn broke on the morning of the 26th of January 1885, the Ansar Regiment of the Magis Army, led by their riflemen and followed by their spearmen, marched out of their camps under their black banners. They began their final attack by storming the city via a gap in their defences. After an hour's fighting, the starving defenders had abandoned the fight and the city was theirs. The Ansar took no prisoners, and all of the approximately 7,000 defenders were killed. The relief force arrived two days later. The manner of Gordon's death is uncertain, but it is romantically portrayed in the painting by George William Joy, General Gordon's Last Stand which hangs in the Leeds City Art Gallery. Gordon was apparently killed at the Governor General's palace about an hour before dawn. The Mahdi had given strict orders to his free caliphs not to kill Gordon. The orders were not obeyed. Gordon's Sudanese servants later stated that Gordon for once did not go out armed only with his traditional rattan cane, but also took with him a loaded revolver and his sword and died in mortal combat, fighting the Ansar. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Toasted Tale podcast. I really enjoyed looking into Charles George Gordon's life, his many adventures, and the dramatic end to a man who lived a rich life and story. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, then the best way to support the show is to either subscribe or follow the podcast on whichever podcasting apps you prefer. By doing that, when new episodes are released, they will automatically be put into your playlist, ready to listen. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. My handle is at podcasttale, and every four o'clock, On weekdays, I try to do a live Toasted Tale stream. If you like what you listened to today, but want it to be a bit more live and a bit more chaotic, then you can tune in every day at that time. Charles George Gordon wasn't perfect, but given the skills that he had, he tried to do the best and promote as much positivity as was possible with his position. Given your position in life, what positivity can you put into the world today? That's my question for you. I look forward to speaking to you all again soon for another Toasted Tale by the Fireside.